Now, gentlemen. The defendant is not guilty. But somebody in this courtroom is. Unmitigated temerity. Hey, hey, what's up, Gatsby heads, and welcome to the OK Gatsby Season 2, colon, to chill, chill a mockingbird. Mocking also, it's Season 3. Off <laughs> 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 to a hot start already, how we got Chapter 15 and 16. dare you correct me in front of the fans? <laughs> how I, dare I will, you? In front of the Gatsby heads? <laughs> <laughs> they hate mistakes. They hate when we bust each other's balls. Yeah. So we beat on boats against the current, born back ceaselessly into, into each the other's balls. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so my name is Kevin. My name is Terrence. As you know, we are reading *To Kill a Mockingbird* for chapter fifteen. We are we are inching so close to the to the centerpiece of this novel. Things are heating up. Yes, it is heating up in town. Uh, literally, summer is upon them. Uh, and y- y'all know so the the court case is around the corner. Yeah, we're we're gonna finally see some. We just we we're gonna get a taste of courtroom at the end. But for now, things are kind of like starting to simmer. You yes. know, the tensions are high. So uh, this is kind of another focused episode where it's kind of like we have like a we have a big kind of a big climax that we're gonna cover. Yeah, this is a very special episode. Yeah, uh, sincerely. To kill, a, to kill a mockingbird. Yeah, get ready. Starts off innocuous enough. <coughs> Dill's allowed to stay. Uh, but a, a word of <laughs> foreshadowing, uh, we had a week of peace together. After that, little it seemed. A nightmare was upon us. So things are coming down the road that are not pleasant. Not pleasant. Yeah, so they're just messing around. Dill has a plan to try to get uh, to try to get Blue Radley to come out, uh, place a trail of lemon drops from the back door to the front yard, and he'd follow it like an ant. <laughs> oh, like that joke from Family Guy where James <laughs> Wood goes, ooh, piece of candy, ooh, piece of candy. Ooh, piece of candy. <laughs> Oh, like like yeah. There's like a little bit of Boo Radley, and then it's like you know what? There's some other stuff going on. Yeah, it's 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 funny because like they mentioned in an earlier chapter that they had outgrown bothering Boo Radley, and Dill had been gone all summer that he didn't didn't have time. Where yeah, it's kind of like when your friend has something really cool and they're over it, and you're like, I'm coming over to do the cool thing. It's like we it's hate like, that thing now. <laughs> we're kind of past Boo Radley now. Yeah, Dill's still in the Boo Radley phase. Yeah, although I don't know, maybe it'll come back. Yeah. I, as you all know, have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> wild accusations. Uh, okay, so there's a bunch of men outside. There's some men outside in the yard, and they want you to come out. And then, I love this sentence, and make home, grown men stood outside in the front yard for only two reasons, colon, death and politics. Amazing. I wondered who had died, and Atticus is saying, go back in the house. So, yeah, there's, it's, it's a, uh, a po- like a posse of men are just like outside being like, hey, let's have a serious talk, Atticus. Yeah, and they want him to come outside to have it. Yeah, the kind of talk you have outside. Uh, so, and it's also so important that Jim can't be there. Uh, yeah. Just go back inside. So they're kind of, thick, so we kind of see this, all of this happening through the living room window. There's a bunch of men and they're talking about uh, they're moving him to the county jail tomorrow. Yeah, scout scout puts the line. They all seem to be talking at once, so there's like a nervous energy going through this group, yeah. this, this group of men. Uh, Mr. T was saying, I don't look for any trouble, but I can't guarantee there won't be any. Uh, don't be foolish, Heck. This is Makeum. Said I was just uneasy. Heck, we've got one postponement of this case just to make sure there's nothing to be uneasy about. 
This is Saturday. Trial will be Monday. You can keep him one night, can't you? That's also kind of a very uh, a, a misstep, in, not a misstep, but some obvious exposition. Like, today is Saturday. The trial is Monday. <laughs> we all know this fact. <laughs> that is the assumption we are under. A thing you would never say in the yeah. uh, conversation. So, right. So, um, they're negotiating to have Tom Robinson stay in the in the Maycomb jail for one night. Right? Yeah. So, Tom Robinson's got to stay, and Hectate is concerned that violence may occur. Yeah. Hectate's a weird name. I looked it up. I thought like Hecate would be like it's like a reference to Hecate, but it's really kind of a stretch. Yeah. It's some Greek thing, but Hectate. I mean, a man whose first name is Heck kind of struck me as odd, but yeah. Yeah. we're rolling with it, folks. It's the South. I don't know. Boo and Heck. Boo, Heck. And Dill. X, a man named X. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll see all of them in this chapter. Um, so that the there was a murmur of glee that died suddenly when Mr. Link D said, Nobody around here is up to anything. It's that old serum bunch I'm worried about. Can't you get a, what is it, heck? Change of venue. Not much point in that now, is it? So essentially they're saying like, hey, like, the town people are not going to be violent. But there is a whole bunch of rural people very invested in this case that we are concerned about. Uh, and let's see here. And, uh, and Atticus is like, hey, you guys, you're not scared of that crowd, are you? Um uh, and the response is, know how they do when they get shinnied up. Yeah. Drink drunk. a bunch of moonshine, yeah. They don't, they don't usually drink on Sunday. They go to church most of the day. This is a special occasion, though, someone said. So they're kind of like, you can even see from the narration that she's, or like, that Scout is just catching kind of little phrases through the through the window, right? But essentially these men are saying, like, hey, like, there's day. I don't know what to do, but let's not have this in Maycomb. Yeah. It's, it's the kind of thing where it's like, they're not in my backyard. They're not, they're not essentially... They're not against the case or mad at Atticus. They're like, this is going to be a whole violent thing here, and I don't want that. Yeah, they're trying to convince him to do to, to avoid this situation, which they see as unavoidable. And um, then here's the big sentence. Don't see why you touched it in the first place, Mr. Link Dees was saying. You've got everything to lose from this. I mean everything. And this is the first direct challenge to Atticus we've seen. Yeah. Do you really think so? I love Scout knows this is like that whether that whether or not they know it this was this was Atticus's dangerous question. Uh and she quotes him saying things in the past like this like do you really think you want to move there Scout? Bam 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 and the checkerboard was swept clean of my men. Do you really think that son? Then read this. Jem went struggle the rest of the evening through the speeches of Henry <laughs> W. Grady. That would be so infuriating if I argued with my dad and then he made me read, read a book. Read a whole thing. <laughs> yeah, man. So yeah, like that is a special type of parent of like, Dad, you old man, you're <laughs> terrible. Read this book, you'll find out I'm not terrible. Oh, oh yeah. 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 Uh <laughs> anyway. So the link that boy might go to the chair, but he's not going to go until the truth's told, and you know what the truth is. So Atticus has been essentially saying, like, we can't sweep this under the rug. Yeah, something racist happened, and we're all going to have to face it. The voice of reason, Atticus Finch. Here he comes. <laughs> Suddenly, okay, and then uh, there's like a murmuring, uh, you know, ominous murmuring, and then j- suddenly Jim screamed, "Atticus, the telephone's ringing." The men jumped a little and scattered. They were people we saw every day. So, like, they are so scared of... Like you, they're the, jumpy. They're doing something kind of wrong. They, they think that there's going to be a fight. or that they, There's, like, shame mixed in with what they're asking. And they're also... They didn't expect Atticus to be this, like, 
stern about it. Yeah. Like, he, this is he, a man who believes in what he's doing, and these are men trying to get out of their responsibility. They didn't expect this much of a confrontation, even even though it's like a very little like Atticus-style confrontation. They didn't expect this. Yeah. He's he's such like a reasonable guy that they're like, oh, he'll understand, and it's like, no, I have to do this. Yeah. Like, yeah. He's being tense to them. And there, yeah, there's a tension here that they're in kind of a tense situation. And uh, I think it's important to note, like, they're in a mob. They're, in a, yeah. they're, like, they're having a mob mentality. So even this noise from Jem makes them all scatter. Um, <laughs> and it kind of breaks up the... Uh, <laughs> yeah, and then Atticus's reply to Jem screaming, Atticus, the telephone's ringing, is, well, answer it. Answer it, <laughs> son. <laughs> and then everyone laughs. Just a classic father-son moment. And that really pierces the tension. So all the men are gone. Yes, yeah, so all the men are now gone. Atticus is back inside talking to the kids. And then he's just like, "Why on earth are y'all sitting in the dark?" Yes. So he he's like, he's kind of like, he knows why they're sitting in the dark. They're right. obsessed with this this weird tense moment. And then he just goes and sits down and reads, and he just thinks about life while reading the newspaper. Jem, what's Jem goes? They were after you, weren't they? They wanted to get you, didn't they? Atticus re- replies. What have you been reading? No, son. Those were our friends. It wasn't a gang? No. <laughs> we don't have mobs and, and not nonsense in Maycomb. I've never heard of a gang in Maycomb. Ku Klux got after some Catholics one time. Never heard of any Catholics in Maycomb either. <laughs> <laughs> You're confusing that with something else. Way back about 1923, there was a clan, but it was a political organization more than anything. Besides, they couldn't find anybody to scare. They paraded by Mr. Sam Le- Levy's house one night, but Sam just stood in the porch and told him things had come to a pretty pass. He'd sold them the very sheets on their backs. Sam made them so ashamed of themselves, they went away. Okay, so this is hila- <laughs> like a hilarious... Who ever heard of a hilarious clan story? But here it is: the clan the clan forms in nineteen twenty and goes to this Jewish, presum- presumably Jewish guy's house, yeah. Sam Levy, and he goes, "I sold you those sheets, <laughs> you jerks." Hey, that, you guys made me all this money, and, and they, yeah, just just incompetent. Is that uh, you, Heck, <laughs> <laughs> Jeff? Yeah. So like, yeah, it's so funny. I'm like, hey. There's no Catholics. So like, what rumor are you? <laughs> <laughs> there isn't even any Catholics in all the town. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. But essentially, it's like, Atticus is like, like a mob. Like, th- those are like dentists that just tried to like. <laughs> like yeah, I you, know. What do you think's going to happen, son? Uh, but I think Atticus is also maybe downplaying it yes, a bit. Yes, absolutely. Their, their he, he downplays everything to yeah. be like. Because then, like, it's ever every single time they've had to deal with this, it's been a crisis. And he's been like, they're just our friends. Relax. <laughs> he's so, yeah, right. He's so, I mean, like, he's lying to them. I mean, like, he's yeah. letting, he's not, he's being the goody goody, like, perfect uh, father figure. And again, I'd like to see some of this. He's being such a perfect figure. I'd like to see some of it slip again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but this is a pretty cool Atticus chapter. So I'm going to let that one go. Yeah. Um,. And then there's just a quick little thing on Scout's evaluation of people. The Levy family met all criteria for being five folks. They did the best they could with the sense they had, and they had been living on the same plot of ground in Maycomb for five generations. So this is a Jewish family that's been in this small Alabama town for 100 years. Yeah. Then Eddie says the Ku Klux is gone. It'll never come back. And I don't know. I feel like they are going to come back. I'm just going to call that right here as someone who hasn't <laughs> read it. Um, this feels like a bit of a... Uh, foreshadowing i don't know i literally don't so yeah i'm gonna make that call now it'll be, it'll be fun a little prediction and this is the first uh i love this argument this this sentence that implies the whole argument uh-huh uh 
because this is like the ascent, like such a big part of white supremacy. Uh, I walked home with Dylan, returning time to over here, Atticus saying to Auntie, in favor of Southern womanhood as much as anybody, but not for preserving polite fiction at the expense of human life. Which is like, that's like... There's so much in that sentence, right? So yes. like, let's unpack it. So like, r- briefly unpack it. Like the, uh, the idea, Atticus is talking about Tom Robinson, who had an affair with a white, white woman. That's kind of right. Or like the the accusation is rape, right? Yes. The accusation is that he raped a white woman. Right. So a polite, like he's insinuating that they had consensual sex and that the rape is a polite fiction or. So he, I think, I think he's accusing, uh, the, the idea of like the purity of, of Southern women is a polite fiction. It's a polite fiction. Yes, of course. Uh, so what he's saying is like, Hey, like I get, so what I imagine that in Alexander said, and this is all speculation on purpose. They they show the end of the conversation that Alexander said, "Do not defend this man, even if he is innocent. There's no white woman that would feel safe in this town with the idea that this person is going around like still free." Right. Um, and you have Atticus to preserve goes, Southern womanhood. Right. Atticus goes, "You're going to have this man killed." For your very strange for the polite fiction of Southern womanhood. Yeah, that, there's some idea of like these like innocent white women that could stroll the streets, needing to feel like. So yeah, but it, I'm curious too as to whether this was like as whether like perhaps this was like a relationship or I don't I don't know any of the thi- we haven't heard much yet, have we? We just so we just know that Tom Robinson is accused. I don't I don't know if they told us that it was accused of, uh, of raping. No, the he Yule, was. The, I know, but if it was the Yule, uh, so it's the Yule daughter. The, the trash family. Yeah. Um, and that is at the core of, it's a he said, she said, of the daughter says uh, she th- that Tom Robinson raped her. Uh, and Tom Robinson obviously is declaring his innocence. Uh, and it's the town's like battle between like white trash versus like the African-American population in town. And then how how quickly like all of them are going to believe the white trash yeah uh and we'll see in the court case as the as the story plays out but yeah so th- essentially it's it's Atticus taking the side of a black man against a white woman and the idea that this black man could be even if he was innocent to Anne Alexandra go free the idea just the accusation makes him someone that could potentially threaten the innocence of Southern womanhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's also like, cause the Atticus is a good lawyer and that's also the concern of the town is that he's not like, he's, he's trying his best. He's and trying. He should he's be different. like, yeah. they want they, what they want is like a, a trial and name only. Yes. They want, so, like he's been assigned this thing, but what they're concerned about is that he's trying at it. Yes. And that's what they're going to get at later. And, uh, what we're going to, we need to, we need to get to this, uh, this climactic part of this chapter because the next couple we have a, a sort of a long lead up to um this evening's events yes um so let's see what we can uh what, what we uh glean in the lead up to this evening's events um so essentially there's a little room rumor of uh jem says he's scared scared about atticus somebody might hurt him so there's there's a real developing fear right so they're worried they're concerned for him they can feel it uh, the next day is Sunday. They're in church. Um, they see some of the people that they were talking about. Um, Mr. Heck Tate is present. Um, 
Mr. Underwood is there, the guy who writes the, writes News, the newspaper. Yeah, just drinks wine all day and writes the newspaper. <laughs> He's people, never in church, but he's there. So it's kind of like they're, they're, there's some chatter. The, commu- the community's out. People are out. trying to come together, trying to get some gossip. Talking, right. Yeah. Cod Atticus coming in the door, and he said they'd move Tom Robinson to the Maycomb Jail. He also said more to himself than to me that if they'd kept him there in the first place, there wouldn't have been any fuss. Uh, and I guess that's argument is that, like, they made it a big deal that they had, they felt they needed to keep him away, and now everyone's kind of – like, he thinks the threat – he understates the threat. He doesn't think there's actual threat of people coming in and trying to do a lynch mob. Yeah. And he thinks that this big show of like keeping the criminal away and then bringing, and then bringing him in. Right. If he was just in Maycomb jail the entire time. Yeah. There wouldn't be like riot. You know, there would be riot the whole, the whole time. Like, yeah. The fact that they made it a big deal that he was away and then he's returning. Yeah. Is the thing. Yeah. So. So Dill. Yes. Yeah, so everyone kind of chills out on Sunday afternoon. Blah, blah, blah. Dill and. Jam, kick a football around. Yeah, they're just kind of bored on Sunday. So this is yeah. like the calm before the storm. She exactly. even calls it a fake peace. Um, the fake peace that prevailed on Sundays. So then, yeah, that night uh, after after dinner, Atticus did something that interested us. He came into the living room carrying a long electrical, <laughs> electrical extension cord. There's a light bulb on the end. I'm going out for a while. You folks will be in bed when I come back, so I'll say good night now. With that, he put on his hat and went out the back door. You know when dad does some <laughs> stuff? <laughs> you know when dad be doing w- something weird? Yeah, your dad comes down right after dinner, and he's got an extension cord and a light bulb, and he goes, I got to go. <laughs> uh, good night. It's 6 p.m. Bye-bye. See ya. Bye. I'm going to be out. No questions. No questions. See ya. Uh, bye-bye. <laughs> And he takes the he takes the car. He's taking the car, which is like double confusing, right? Because yeah. he walks everywhere. It turns yeah. out. Yeah, he should live in New York. Yeah, this guy loves to walk up to two miles a day. I was like, yeah, give me a break, buddy. <laughs> Welcome to New York, pal. Welcome to New York. Walking ten miles over here. Um, yeah, th- and I love this quick description of our father had a few peculiarities. One was he never ate desserts. Another was that he liked to walk. As far as I can remember, there was always a Chevrolet in excellent condition in the car house, and Atticus put many miles on it in business trips. But in Maycomb, he walked to and from his office four times a day, covering about two miles. He said his only exercise was walking. In Maycomb, if one went for a walk with no definite purpose in mind, it was correct to believe one's mind incapable of definite purpose. Yeah, like you're crazy. Yeah, you, if you walk that much, you're just a person who has nothing going on in their life. Yeah, he like so he likes to walk, and the only way he can is if he walks to work. <laughs> right. Otherwise, yeah. Otherwise, everyone's gonna think he's a weirdo. Yeah. Um. So, Jem gets a little case of the look arounds is what is what uh, is what Scout calls it. Right. So, that's kind of. The next thing. So, yeah. Why ain't you going to bed? I'm going downtown for a while. Why? It's almost 10 o'clock. He knew, but he was going anyway. Then I'm going with you. If you say no, you're not, I'm going to go anyway. You hear? So, essentially, it's that little sister intuition of like, hey, whatever you're doing, I want to be in on. Yeah. And Jem's got the intuition too. He says, he's, I just got this feeling. This just got this feeling. He's got to go downtown. So, this is a very exciting. Um, and then you were like, let's get Dill too. <laughs> let's get Dill. Dill want to come. I love Dill. He's a little sidekick. Um, I like how Dill, Dill's move is uh, he doesn't even they go to they go to his door. Where is it? They go to his door and uh, yeah, Jim Jim whistled Bob White. Dill's face appeared at the screen, disappeared, yeah. and five minutes later he unhooked the screen, crawled out. An old campaigner, he did not speak until we were on the sidewalk. <laughs> yeah. So silently they get him and then he, he yeah they walk away from the house and he goes, all right, what's up? What are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> no, like hey, come on out. It's like hey. 
the could sign. Be, the sign. <laughs> it could be anything. I love yeah. it. It could be he's, he's down for anything. So they go to the square. They they go by Miss Dubose's house, a little sidebar that you know her garden's growing. Now they're in the they're in the county square. The light you can see. <laughs> I like the county toilet. <laughs> see that part? <laughs> they can see the county toilet. The toilet for the whole county. <laughs> I'll go down to the county, <laughs> use the toilet. <laughs> use the toilet. Uh, so they go to Finch's, uh, Atticus's office. Guess what? The office is dark. What's yeah. going on there? Jim peered in the bank door to make sure. Let's go up the street. Maybe he's visiting Mr. Underwood. So Atticus is not where they thought he would be. Yep. Why did he bring this extension cord and light bulb? <laughs> Weird. Um, so then they come to the Maycomb Jail. Uh, which is hideous and venerable. Uh, Atticus said it was like something cousin Joshua St. Clair <laughs> might have decided. <laughs> I love now we have like an inside family joke that like cousin Josh is crazy. I'm becoming cousin Joshua, he costing wrote, the family $500. He wrote a book. Um, also like that's such a family thing is that you can't have one little mental breakdown yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> without no. being the joke of the family. And now you're just like <laughs> another word for crazy is cousin Josh. Yeah. Synonymous with crazy. Okay, so... What they see is uh, an outside light. That's funny, says Jim. Jail doesn't have an outside light. Looks like it's over the door. So what they see is a long extension cord ran between the bars of a second door window, second floor window, and down the side of the building. In the light from the its bare bulb, Atticus was sitting propped against the front door. He was sitting in one of his office chairs, and he was reading, oblivious of the night bugs dancing over his head. That's a pretty little sentence. Yeah. And it's kind of symbolic too, where he's kind of like he's reading amidst, uh, sort of like not danger, but like he's ignoring a swarm of trouble. You know, like yeah. he's he's pretending to be oblivious to uh, swirling issues. Yeah, and that's also such an adequate way to prepare for the arriving of a lynch mob. It's oh like, yeah, I'm gonna read. <laughs> I'm gonna read. Read something. Yeah. Uh, so it, it heats up. We were taking a shortcut across the square when four dusty cars came in from the Meridian. Oh wait, so th- at first they see him, and, they, and then Jim goes, "Don't go to him. He might not like it. He's all right. Let's go home. I just wanted to see where he was." So Jim's satisfied, but then four cars came in from the Meridian Highway, moving slowly in a line. They went around the square, past the bank building, and stopped in front of jail. So something's going on. Oh yeah, it's ten at night. In, in downtown, nobody's out on the street. Nope. Uh, Atticus has left the house for some reason. And now four cars that are dusty are coming in to stop in front of uh, the Oh, jail. yeah, they're dusty. All right, so they're, yeah, they're not uh, fancy, shined-up cars. No. Yeah, this is this is a, a point where I think a Scout's childlike narration really, like, kind of uh, shines. Like, we get, we get a kind of a full picture of what's going on slowly, but it's kind of like looking through like a, sl- a slotted window. You know, like we're getting like enough picture to understand that ourselves, but we can tell it's Scout does not know what's going on. So yeah. it's, I think it's like honestly one of the more masterful uses of this kind of this kind of strange child yeah. child point of view narration that Harper Lee has been using. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's like dramatic irony or situation irony where the audience knows more than the... Dramatic irony. Yeah. Um, let me see here. Yeah, so they now they're like, okay, we got to watch this. Come on, whispered Jem. We we streaked across the square, across the street, until we were in the shelter of the Jitney Jungle Door. Jem peeked up the sidewalk. We can get closer. We ran to Tyndall's hardware door near enough at the same time discreet. So this is like a spy moment for them. I'm sure Dill's in heaven of, yeah. like, <laughs> of like very purposely not trying to be seen and also trying to get some some information. So now, yeah, now they're close enough to watch everything, and, and, the, um, and they, they see the men come out. 
Um, Atticus remained where he was. The men hid him from view. He in there, Mr. Finch, a man said. He is, and he's asleep. Don't wake him up. I love this this comedic beat where, in obedience to my father, there followed what I later realized was a sickeningly comic aspect of an unfunny situation. The men talked in near whispers. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, they're coming to kill this guy, but they don't want to wake him up. (laughs) Let him sleep. Yeah. They're coming, they're going to come, they want to come hang this man in the street. It also so funny that, like the level of respect that Atticus commands of yeah. like he can't fully defeat their racist rage, but he he can make them obey him. Yeah. <laughs> you know what we want? <laughs> Get aside from the door, Mister Finch. <laughs> you can turn around and go home again, Walter. Hectate's around somewhere. The hell he is. Hex bunch so deep in the woods they won't get out till morning. Indeed. Why so? Called him off on a snipe hunt. Didn't you think of that, Mr. Finch? Thought about it, but didn't believe it. Well, then. That changes things, doesn't it? It do. <laughs> <laughs> also, like, how how tough is that? Like, that changes things, doesn't it? Like, it's like, hey, the sheriff's around. The sheriff's not around. We pulled a fast one on you. Yeah. It's like, congratulations. <laughs> it changes things, doesn't it? Yeah, Atticus is such a cowboy here. Yeah. But he is a little bit afraid. Yes. You it do, another deep voice said. And then another classic line. Boom. Do you really think so? we're both trying to you know what we're trying to do you picture it at home yeah google it and play it this is uh this is one shot finch that they're they're coming after this is this was the second time i heard atticus ask that question in two days and it meant somebody's man would get jumped this was too good to miss i broke away from jim and ran as fast as i could to atticus (laughs) (laughs) i gotta be a part of this i want to see hey hey atticus uh, he's got a really old yeah Hey, Atticus. Hey, and this Atticus. is such a heartbreaking moment. Yeah. So Atticus believes he's like, I'm alone. I'm going to stare down these men. I am scared, but I don't show it. I'm a master at concealing my emotions. And I'm also like, I'm smarter than these men. He's stoic. Yeah, right. He, Yeah, he, he wants to take, you can tell he wants to take the brunt of it on his own. He's like, I'll, I will handle this. Like the sheriff. And even later, it's like, he's like, he seems very well and like, yeah, they probably were going to punch me and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, he is like the patience of Christ to like suffer. Oh through. yeah. Um, oh yeah, and I don't think it's lost on Harper Lee that Atticus is the patience of Christ. It's almost like, yeah, we get it. <laughs> yeah, he's a saint. Jeez. Yeah. Um, and this this line is such a, a tragic because like all right, so it's it's all dark. These men have come to threaten you, and you're like, okay, it's it's time to get very serious. Violence might happen, and then your daughter goes, hey, Dad. <laughs> I know it's amazing. Like it's like so wild. The tension, it's tension is totally broken. I thought he would have a fine surprise, but his face killed my joy. A flash of plain fear was going out of his eyes, but returned when Dill and Jem wriggled into the light. So like now he is like could not conceal. Like now I am afraid for my children. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and, uh, and 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 Scout kind of sees what's going on. She smells the stale whiskey and pig pen. Uh, she realizes that they were not the people I saw last night. Hot embarrassment shot through me. I had leapt triumphantly into a ring of people I had never seen before. You thought She thought that maybe they'd be kind of the similar guys. Yeah, it'd be Hectate and it yeah. would be, yeah, all, all of the newspaper men and stuff like that. And we see Atticus got up from his chair, but he was moving slowly like an old man. He put the newspaper down very carefully, adjusting its creases with lingering fingers. They were trembling a little. So you can see that he's a little bit afraid. Yeah. Go home, Jemmy said. Take Scout and Dill home. 
We were accustomed to prompt, if not always cheerful, acquiescence to Atticus's instructions, but from the way he stood, Jem was not thinking of budging. Go home, I said. Jem shook his head. As Atticus's fists went to his hips, so did Jem's, and as they faced each other, I could see little resemblance between them. Jim's soft brown hair and eyes, his oval face and snug-fitting ears were our mother's, contrasting oddly with Atticus's grain-black hair and square-cut features, but they were somehow alike. Mutual defiance made them alike. Son, I said go home. Jim shook his head. I'll send him home, a burly man said, <laughs> and grabbed him roughly by the collar. Don't you touch him. I kicked him the man swiftly. Barefooted, I was surprised to see him fall back in real pain. I intended to kick his shin, but I aimed too high. <laughs> Ooh, hilarious. So Classic once again, bit. Scout has kicked a man in the nuts. <laughs> Gee, they're so polite that there's so much like <clears throat> genital stuff happening. Yeah, oh they, my god. That they imply. And it's like three degrees of separation from the actual genitals. Like not even they won't what say would crotch. You miss if like you went for a shin but went way too high. What it's would like, be? <laughs> I'd say go to like a math equation and be like, Oh, oh gotcha. Scout's grown a little bit and so her <laughs> kicks a little bit higher than it used to be. Um uh, that'll do, Scout. Atticus put his hand on my shoulder. Don't kick, folks. No, he said I was a pleading justification. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't nobody gonna do Jem that way, I said. All right, Mr. Finch, get him out of here. You got 15 seconds to get him out of here. That's intense. That's like, if yeah. you're giving that specific of a time increment, you mean business. It's like, what are you gonna do in 15, like, yeah. Tensions are high. In the midst of this strange assembly, Atticus stood trying to make Jem mind him. I ain't going, was his steady answer to Atticus' threat, request, and finally, please, Jem, take them home. So this is like, so this mob is growing closer, and one man is getting bolder. Jem is standing arms, like, on his hips, staring his father in the eye of, like, I'm not leaving you to face this mob alone. Uh, Scout is kicking men in the balls. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's very, it's 10 at night. No one else is around. This this Atticus is in the the deepest fear he'll probably ever feel in his life. Crazy tense. And amidst this tension, Jem or Scout is like looking around at the people. She sees that they're tired, uh, yada yada. But I I saw it once more for a familiar face at the center of the semicircle. I found one. Hey, Mister Cunningham. The man did not hear me. It seemed. Hey, Mister Cunningham. How's your entailment getting along? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Walter Cunningham's legal affairs were well known to me. Atticus had once described them at length. The big man blinked and hooked his thumbs in his overall straps. He seemed very uncomfortable. He cleared his throat and looked away. My friendly overture had <laughs> fallen flat. That's not like not reading the situation at all. Just perfect. I mean, it's like so perfect. I mean, it's like it's cinematic because you can feel the tension. You can and you can see like the little girl talking, and you can you can tell through the narration that that Scout is well-meaning. Um, it's perfect. And she's like, what's so funny is the two things going on. Is Atticus's real fear. Jem's like defiance to like, I need to protect my father. Uh, Dill is not saying a word. <laughs> yeah. uh, and Scout believes that she just embarrassed herself. That there was a big old party and there was going to be a fun argument. And she's like, uh-oh, I ran into this big circle like a dork. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, this is, this is awkward and I've been rude. I should find somebody I know at this party and kind of <laughs> get things going again. And who uh, hasn't been at a party that you're so desperate? You're like, I, the one thing I know it's about like, hey, people. oh, yeah, I think we met at, We met somewhere, right? I know you. guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and little, yeah, little does she know that she is perfectly cutting the tension and kind of humanizing herself and Atticus and Jem and Mr. Cunningham and just like like her innocence is like a shield here. I mean like I was overwhelmed by this scene. This scene is like 
we're in the middle of it, so I don't, I don't want to analyze it yet. But it's just like I, I'm overwhelmed by by what's happening here. It's incredible. Yeah. Mr. Cunningham wore no hat, and the top half of his forehead was white in contrast to his sun-scorched face, which led me to believe that he wore one most days. He shifted his feet, clad in heavy work shoes. Don't you remember me, Mr. Cunningham? I'm Gene Louise Finch. You brought us some hickory nuts one time. Remember? I began to sense the futility one feels when unacknowledged by a chance acquaintance. <laughs> <laughs> I go to school with Walter. He's your boy, ain't he? Ain't he, sir? Mr. Cunningham was moved to a faint nod. He did He did know me, after all. He's in my grade, I said, and he does right well. He's a good boy, a real nice boy. We brought him home, at, we brought, we brought, we brought him home for dinner one time. Maybe he told you about me. I beat him up one time, but he was real nice about it. <laughs> <laughs> Tell him hey for me, will, won't you? <laughs> I love just how she sees this. Atticus had said it was a blind thing to talk to people about what they were interested in, not about what you were interested in. Mr. Cunningham displayed no interest in his son, so I tangled his entailment once more in a last effort to make him feel at home. Entailment. So, <laughs> <Go ahead. laughs> so this is all her all instinct is like, hey, we're having like we could have a nice time. I uh. <laughs> it seems the conversation has hit a bit of a lull. Allow uh, me. <laughs> uh, I, it would be rude of me not to get things going again. <laughs> it seems as if you don't give anything of a care about your son. So let's talk about something something else. I yeah, guess. let's get back to entailments. <laughs> entailments are bad. I was advising him. <laughs> <laughs> when slowly awoke to the fact that I was addressing the entire aggregation, the men were all <laughs> looking at me. Some had their mouths half open. Atticus had stopped poking at Jem. They were standing together beside Dill. Their attention amounted to fascination. Atticus's mouth even was half open, an attitude he had once described as uncouth. Our eyes met, and he shut it. Well, Atticus, I was just saying to Mr. Cunningham that entailments are bad and all that, but you cannot... You said not to worry. It takes a long time sometimes that you all ride it out together. I was slowly drying up, wondering what idiocy I had committed. Entailment seemed all right enough for living room talk. <laughs> so she still is like, have I committed some sort of faux pas? <laughs> yeah. She's just so worried that she embarrassed herself. It's all like, this talk of like uh, Anne Alexander trying to get her to be polite. And now she's like, all right, here's all the rules. <laughs> here's my time to shine. I am the most polite woman in Maycomb County. I am doing it. Um, they're all looking at her. Yeah, and Atticus is like, what is my wonderful daughter doing right now? <laughs> What's the matter, I asked. Atticus said nothing. I looked around and up at Mr. Cunningham, whose face was equally impassive. Then he did a peculiar thing. He squatted down and took me by both shoulders. I'll tell him you said hey, little lady. Then he straightened up and waved a big paw. Let's clear out. Let's get going, boys. As they had come in ones and twos, the men shuffled back to their ramshackle cars. Doors slammed, engines coughed, and they were gone. I turned to Atticus, but Atticus had gone to the jail and was leaning against it with his face to the wall. I went to him and pulled his sleeve. Can we go home now? He nodded, produced his handkerchief, gave his face a going over, and blew his nose violently. Mr. Finch? A soft husky voice came from the darkness above. They gone? They've gone. Get some sleep, Tom. They won't bother you anymore. So Atticus is crying, right? Yeah. He's crying at, at the amazing innocence and um, Just humanity the, like, of his fear, daughter. The relief of like, oh my God, I almost like I almost got in a huge fight and the only thing that saved me was my, my children running up to me. I know. Yeah, right. So like it must be a lot for him to yeah, like all the all of the racism facing all the racism and all of the the, uh, what's going on and the evil of the town and the and, innocence of Scout. And he knows he's keeping so much from his children and he has to carry this burden alone. He is a single man 
uh, his no one, none of his friends support him in doing this. Yeah. So he can't be like, let me tell you how hard it is to do this case. He can't tell his children because he doesn't want them to worry that like at the degree of what's gonna happen. Right. Um. So yeah, it's. <laughs> and then yeah, then there's like what very strange moment where <laughs> he was gonna stare down all all of the country folk coming to kill a man, and he was gonna do it alone, and he was gonna take a beating for it, but he was gonna do it because that's what his conscience told him to do. And his plan got interrupted to die nobly by his children coming up and being like, hey, hey, Dad, I want to talk to these nice folks. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's a, 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 a great scene. One of the best scenes probably. The te- like, I think it's like it's such a. It's such a confluence of like the narration style the the tensions that have been building in Maycomb, Atticus's sort of mentality, Jem's mentality, like it's like an apotheosis of what's been happening in the novel so far. And there are so, uh, human moments from Atticus of him real fear, and then crying with relief. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know what? You're right. From from me, who's been who's been kind of criticizing Atticus as a character as like sort of one note and a little boring and a little bit like uh, just being the Christ figure that Harper Lee is sort of like saddling with all this ethical nonsense. Um, to see Atticus break down here and to see Atticus's plan kind of not go the way it was supposed to mm-hmm. and to have like kind of the mischief of Jem and Scout sort of help Atticus for once instead of just like him being like, Jem Scout! <laughs> like, it's really heartwarming. This is a very special episode. I... Uh, yeah, I really can't get enough. Like I'm, yeah, I would totally, I would totally would have teared up as well. Like Atticus. Uh, yeah, it's so beautifully written. The tension is so beautifully built. Yeah, and it it resolves itself so wonderfully. Yeah, it's it's a it's a world class scene. There's a reason why this book is so beloved. And then I love the next part. <laughs> uh, so they won't bother you anymore. And then from a different direction, another voice cut crisply through the night. Your damn toot, and they won't had you covered all the time, Atticus. And who is it but the drunk? journalist mr <laughs> underwood and a double-barreled shotgun were leaning out his window above the maycomb tribune office yeah it was and this this like closing scene is like almost like born back boats against the current like level of like quiet solemn reflection uh it was long past my bedtime and i was growing quite tired it seemed that atticus and mr underwood would talk for the rest of the night mr underwood out the window and atticus up at him finally atticus returned switched up the light above the jail door and picked up his chair can I carry it for you, Mr. Finch? asked Dill. He had not said a word the whole time. Why, thank you, son. Walking toward the office, Dill and I fell into step behind Atticus and Jem. Dill was encumbered by the chair and his pace was slower. Atticus and Jem were well ahead of us, and I assumed that Atticus was giving him hell for not going home, but I was wrong. As they passed under a streetlight, Atticus reached out and massaged Jem's hair, his one gesture of affection. His one gesture of affection so right so in this moment when they did something so wrong, like like sneaking out of the house. Yeah. Into serious danger. Yes. Right into the middle. And then defied him. Like, go home. No. Go home. No. Yeah. Go home. No. Like, in front of people. This is, like, the worst thing they've ever done, honestly. Like, yes. It's, like, in terms of the rules that have been set out for them, uh, this is the worst thing they've ever done. Defying him openly in front of townspeople, you know, in yeah. front of others' people. Late yeah. at night. <laughs> late, at, late at night. They're not supposed to be out. They got Dill from his freaking house they like yeah they broke dill out of out of out of, uh, out of Ray, aunt rachel's house um openly defiant scout is literally putting herself in danger attacks a grown man yes 
Um, yeah, Gem and Open Defiance. Yeah. It's it's like a remarkable, like... Scout being rude at parties, or like Scout being a rude conversationalist. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so... And you just see them walking, and you could just see this perfect figure of like all the father and son stuff coming together. of just uh, And all it is is a tussle of the hair, and it tells a whole range of emotions. That's all you need. Oh, man. What a remarkable scene. Incredible. All right, and then on to 16. Chapter 16. Chapter 16. The aftermath of that dramatic incident. Yeah, it kind of just goes like it's kind of like we get a we get a pretty solid chunk here where it's just like and they kind of just unpacked what just happened, which I'm glad because it was so so important and moving and crazy. That would be like the craziest night of my life if that happened. Oh to my me. god! Yeah, if I like had to accidentally stare down a lynch mob. <laughs> If I had used my innocence as a shield uh, to help my father not get killed, I didn't use my innocence for anything. <laughs> my my innocence could not be used for good with for my father. I barely used it. Yeah, I keep misplacing it. I lost mine. <laughs> Mine's lost. <laughs> Sorry, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> lost it a long time ago. A long time ago. In the big city. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Let's see here. So yeah, next morning. So. Scout gets upset. So, Jim, they all go to bed, and Jim goes, try to go to sleep. It'll all be over after tomorrow, maybe. Maybe. Uh, th- so, they're talking about the court case is, t- is tomorrow. So, it's supposed to be, the idea is that it's going to be only one day, it's one and done? Only one, only one day, enormous court case. Okay. I guess, uh, yeah, because I guess there's only so many witnesses to this thing. Sure. It's not like the OJ trial. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's actually, they're, they're that's probably what I was comparing <laughs> it to. <laughs> It's not a it's not a thirteen month trial. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a local Alabama lawyer defending. <laughs> yeah, it's just one a guy. Run of the mill rape trial, but it's supposed to be. I mean, like the idea is it's supposed to be like open and shut. They're actually yeah. kind of mad at Atticus for trying a yeah, little bit that they yeah. even had to that he's not didn't just plead guilty. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So they get back home. They'd come in quietly to not wake Auntie. Atticus killed the engine in the driveway and coasted to the car house. We went in the back door into a room without a word. Uh, I was very tired and was drifting to sleep when the memory of Atticus calmly folding his new pa- newspaper and pushing back his hat became Atticus standing in the middle of an empty waiting street, pushing up his glasses. So that's the... Is she referring to the uh, Deadeye Atticus scene? Or what is it, what is it called? Deadeye Finch? Or uh, one Shot one Finch. One Shot Finch, thank you. No, I think it's just a scene where she saw Atticus start to go into action. Of like she start, She's replaying it in her head. Of like Atticus was just very sweetly said goodnight. And then now she's imagining him, what she sees him alone in the square, st- like folding his newspaper, ready to fight. Ready to, yeah, defend oh. Tom Robinson. Yeah. The full meaning of the night's events hit me and I began crying. Jim was awfully nice about it. For once, he didn't remind me that people nearly nine years old didn't do things like that. <laughs> You're almost nine now. Stop crying. You should get a job. Yeah. I cried today at a preview for a movie. So <laughs> oh, what movie? I don't remember. <laughs> uh, I don't you remember. You so much that you don't even remember. It was just something someone said in the movie. I'll get back to the listeners on that. Okay. I'll we'll have to check back in. Uh, <laughs> I love this. Everybody's appetite was delicate this morning except Jim's. He ate his way through three eggs, <laughs> which is like such a boy thing of like, I triumphed last night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, right. Is that how you're taking it? Is yeah. like, yeah, he, he feels like a, li- like a little man. Everyone else is like kind of shook up. Yeah. But Jem is like, that was, was supposed to happen. Yeah, that I did the good thing. I was the hero last night. Yeah. He got to be, he was a born hero. Was, and he stood up to his father, which is kind of, he's father been doing that. And to evil. <laughs> and to evil, yeah. When do you get the chance to do that? Unless your dad is evil. <laughs> 
and he's yeah. not. So he had both. He had, yeah, you he got to do both, both. Both worlds. He came. He came of age last night. Yeah. All in one night. Yeah, Atticus said he was right glad his disgraces had come along. Ha <laughs> ha. Oh, so he yeah. calls his kids. Yeah. Ha ha. I got him. Oh no. Ch- oh no. Because Aunt Alexandra calls children who slept oh. out at night were a disgrace to the family. Gotcha. Like so what we're talking about. Man. Like like it's, it's so, such a disobeying thing to slip out at night. And yeah, and then Atticus said he was right glad his disgrace had come along. <laughs> this is kind of cool. Yeah, like that was th- that was a huge turning point in in this book. It feels like it feels like that was uh, a sort of a major event or a climax, whatever you call it. You know, I think also for Atticus is is him finally seeing that how he's raised his children is paying off. Right. They have a very strong moral center. Take that, auntie. They they have a strong moral center. And they have a and they have a sense when family's in danger and they know the right thing to do. Yeah, they're rebels for. With a cause. Rebels with a cause. With a cause, like Atticus is. He's, yes. he's rebelling against the sort of social uh, you know, status quo of the town. Yeah. Atticus is big on politeness, which his kids don't quite fulfill. Yeah. Uh, but as far ways. as the same morals and seeing the right thing to do, he's he's like, okay, they're, they are coming along in that direction. Kind of wraps up nicely how like, they had had all these little adventures and scraps. They snuck out and they did bad things. And Atticus is like, no. And then they had one where Atticus is like, yeah, yeah, I like this. Yes, uh, and then Auntie was like, "Nonsense, Mister Underwood was there all the time." And then here's an, an interesting <laughs> comment. <laughs> you know, it's a funny thing about Braxton," said Atticus. "He despises Negroes. Won't have one near him." Uh, local opinion held Mister Underwood to be an intense, profane little man whose father, in a fay fit of humor, christened Braxton Bag Bragg, a name Mister Underwood has done his best to live down. Atticus said naming people after Confederate generals made slow, steady drinkers. (laughs) Slow and steady, yeah. It is kind of funny that the only, like, writer or media person in town is this, like, hateful little drunk. (laughs) 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 Which is like, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) We're in a city full of hateful little drunks. Hateful little drunks. A A Confederate general's name. I, did, I do like that line. Atticus said naming people after Confederate generals made slow, steady drinkers. I feel like Atticus is so much cooler in quotation than in than when he's in actually talking. Yeah, yeah. He's got a lot of greatest hits. Exactly, yeah. Atticus always says. He's a dull man, or he, he's purposely dull because he, he's no drama. He's a no drama mama. No drama mama, yeah. And, uh, but yeah, he, uh, he has some witty insights into Southern life. <laughs> Yeah. So then there's this stuff with Calpurnia and 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 Aunt Alexandra. So Calpurnia is pouring Auntie some coffee. Uh, Scout wants some, so Calpurnia is giving her some. But while while Calpurnia is getting a Scout her first cup of coffee, which is just a tablespoon of coffee and a big old glass of milk. Yeah. Uh, like that classic office joke. You want some coffee with that cream? <laughs> <laughs> it's like that. It's like that yeah. is happening. Yeah. Um, Auntie is mad at Atticus. Don't talk like that in front of them. Talk like what in front of whom? Like that in front of Calpurnia. You said Braxton Underwood despises Negroes right in front of her. Well, I'm sure Cal knows it. Everyone at Maycomb knows it. And this is this is something we talked about. Yeah. Every, I was beginning to notice a subtle change in my father these days that came out when he talked with Aunt Alexandra. It was a quiet digging in, never outright irritation. There was a faint starchiness in his voice when he said, Anything fit to say at the table is fit to say in front of Calpurnia. She knows what she means to this family. I don't think it's a good habit, Atticus. It encourages them. You know how they talk among themselves? Everything that happens in this town is out to the quarters before sundown. I like 
I like how they're they're showing polite racism as well as impolite racism. Yeah. The the they's and them's here are yeah. just so heavy. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's what's so important, it, and it's, that's such a good point of like Saint Alexander is like, no, we get to be racist if we're nice about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just don't. Yeah, don't don't do it to their faces. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's a good habit, Atticus. It encourages. Oh no, you already said that. Yeah. I don't know of any law that says they can't talk. And he puts down his knife when he says this. I don't know any law that says they can't talk. Maybe if we didn't give them so much to talk about, they'd be quiet. Why don't you drink your coffee, Scout? <laughs> yeah. I thought Miss. So Scout says. Scout says. I thought Mister Cunningham was a friend of ours. You told me a long time ago he was. He still is. But last night he wanted to hurt you. Mister Cunningham's basically a good man. He just has his blind spots along with the rest of us. Jem speaks up. Don't call that a blind spot. He'd have killed you last night when we first went there. I mean, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, Jem's held. And he says, he might have hurt me a little, but soon you'll understand folks a little better when you're older. A mob's always made up of people no matter what. Mr. Cunningham was part of a mob last night, but he was still a man. Every mob in every little southern dun, town dun, is dun, always dun, made up dun, of dun, people, dun, you know. Dun, 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 Doesn't say much dun. for them, does it? Nice little speech from Atticus. Yeah. And also, like, so there's Here two comes one of the themes of the novel. <laughs> yeah. So it took an eight-year-old to bring them to their senses, didn't it? That proves something, that a gang of wild animals can be stopped simply because they're still human. Hmm. Maybe we need a police force of children. You children last night made Walter Cunningham stand in my shoes for a minute. That was enough. So stay tuned for this fall on NBC, Kid Cops. Kid Cops. <laughs> <laughs> and there's still, like, a huge brutality problem. <laughs> 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 like, they were like turning off their dash cam. <laughs> <laughs> the wet willies are out of control. <laughs> Johnson, <laughs> one more Reggie. That guy a Reggie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, bit uh, three very quick, very no, no, two very quick, very big conversations. Uh, one about addressing that some white people are racist in front of a black person. Yeah, is a big no-no to polite white racists. Yeah. Uh. And Atticus takes a side of, well, if we don't want him to talk about our racism, let's not be racist. Yeah. Think of talk. Let's give him something to talk about. Yeah. Don't, rather. Uh, so that's a point for uh, Atticus's anti-racism. On the other side is a very weird point that he makes of, one, I get radical empathy, but two, that it, he calls v- uh, the attempt to violently hurt another man a blind spot. Yeah, yeah. Which is like, that's like way too forgiving of like, that's where it's like, okay, so like he's, I mean, he's the guy who's like, I have to love my white neighbors. (laughs) Yeah. And I will forgive them anything. Right. I mean, like this sounds like this kind of the thing I've been saying is like Atticus is too good and like just a goody two shoes. This is like, just like he has no, there's no limit to him for him to write off a person. Which I guess is is supposed to be Christ-like patience, but in the face of this systemic and vir- and like literally, a guy almost got killed last night. Yeah, and he and Atticus almost got deeply hurt too. Right, and he still has no anger in the morning. There's no like, give me some anger. Yeah. I think it's I think it's I think it's inspiring. The radical empathy is inspiring. I think like the only way that you get the etiquette, the only way you get a guy who sits outside of Tom Robinson's cell like that is if a guy who understands. Who's willing to accept everybody? So like that's why he's into Tom Robinson because he's like everyone gets a chance, even the guys who are 
trying to hang Tom Robinson, yeah. everyone gets a chance. But also, as a man, like that's a great ideal. But the you know the human condition it being what it is, we have ideals we can't live up to. Yeah. So I want to see Atticus slam the table or something. I mean, know? yeah. The only person like we see it a little bit is him putting down his knife to yell at Anne Alexander. Yeah, yeah. She's taking the brunt of it. Yeah. Yeah. So it, like it seems like he's more mad about polite, subtle like racism than he is about uh, sort of right in your face. I mean, you could say well, not he, not more mad, but he addresses it. Yes, I guess because it's in within his 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 ability to address. Sure, like he could fight with Anne Alexander, and she, what's she gonna do? I mean, yeah, I'd like. To, I mean, yeah, I guess the response to like the racism of Anne Alexandra is like a polite uh, rebuke. Yeah, but the response to a Mister Cunningham racism is kind of like you have to kind of fight that guy in the street. Like, yeah. if he's trying to kill this guy because he's a racist, you're going to have yeah. to fight, fight or back. Or at the very, like, you don't, like, it worked out. Nothing happened. Right. But don't be like, eh, he's a good guy. He just did it. Like, it's like, no, this is a man who is capable of, of being in a mob. It's like, cancel Walter Cunningham. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cancel, cancel culture. Uh, if you're listening to this in three years, cancel culture is really huge right now. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's a really big, it's a really big thing. Most it's of makeup should be canceled. Yeah. Uh, <coughs> let's see here. But yeah. So oh it's man. It's just kind of like a very, like, it's like, is that radical empathy or is that being too forgiving of your neighbors? Like, like problems that are causing a huge, that harm are harming others. Yeah. And we'll track that. Like, yeah. I mean, I've been tracking Atticus's kind of annoying, uh, annoying empathy a little bit. So we'll keep, we'll keep, we'll keep, keep an eye on that. Uh, uh, Scout though, uh, isn't having it. She goes, uh, First day Walter comes back to school, be his last. I <laughs> affirmed. It's like, oh, I'll kill his son. <laughs> I'm gonna Don't kill worry. his son <laughs> in the fall. <laughs> like Cold <a> revenge. <laughs> <laughs> the murder of Walter Cunningham by the coward Scout Fish. <laughs> no, not the coward Scout Fish. You will not touch him, Atticus said flatly. I don't want either of you bearing a grudge against this thing about this thing, no matter what happens. You see, don't you? What comes to things like this? Don't say I haven't told you. Atticus said, "Never say that." Pushed out his chair and got up. There's a day ahead, so excuse me, Jim. I don't want to see. I don't want you and Scout downtown today, please. Okay, so now Atticus is going to court. He is going to battle. He has to do his duty, his moral duty to defend Tom. Robinson. And he doesn't want them to come again. He has, so Atticus has basically learned nothing. That he has. One, I mean, like, come on, let him go to court. They were, you know, that would be the cool thing. Yeah, to do. I mean, as far as like, and not even just as like they earned it last night but as far as like the people your children took a, a like a, a beating from like a metaphor like a emotional beating yeah. the last year yeah of like several incidents of adults being vicious to them right like, let they, them have the fun of seeing what it was all for they should go i like this dill comes down and uh, says like it's all over town this morning about how we held off 100 <laughs> folks that are bare hands <laughs> <laughs> it's not a hundred folks, and nobody held off anybody off. It was just a nest of those Cuttinghams, drunk and disorderly. Um, oh, Auntie, that's just Dill's way. And then he's like, "All right, follow us." And then Auntie's like, "You all stay in the yard today," she says. We made our way to the front porch, and that's not happening. <laughs> not happening. Not at all. <coughs> uh, so now we get to see just everyone and their brother coming into town to see this court case. Oh yeah! So before they go to town, they have to get this like parade of people coming coming down through. So they're like they really want to go. Um, I like uh, they see the Mennonites and uh, they've all got blue eyes. Jim explained, and the men can't shave after they bury their wives. Like for the, them to tickle with them with their beards. <laughs> <laughs> 
And we so also funny. we also get an introduction to Mr. Dolphus Raymond, who who will slowly be developed over the next. Oh yeah, Dolphus. Sorry, yeah. So a man comes riding in town uh, on a horse. Uh, don't see how he stays in the saddle, murmured Jim. How can you stand to get drunk for eight in the morning? So there's just a town drunk riding into t- in town on a horse to see this court case. And that's the first mention of Mr. Dolphus Raymond. Just a little peek. And then we get a, f- a fun one named Mr. X Billups. Mr. As discussed, Mr. X. X is his name, not his initial. He was in court one time and they asked him his name. He said X Billups. Clerk asked him to spell it and he said X. Asked him again and he said X. They kept it at it till he wrote X on a sheet of paper and held it up for everybody <laughs> to see. They asked him where he got his name and he said that that's what it, the way his folks handed him up when he was born. <laughs> so they can't write. That's just a folksy anecdote yeah. right there. <laughs> the Make way his folks signed him up. <laughs> Wants to do a man named X. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that county went by. <coughs> Uh, and then Jim is just given a quick r- explanation to Dill of like, this is that guy, this is that guy, this is th- this person. Mr. Tensov Jones voted the straight prohibition ticket. Miss Emily Davis dipped snuff in private. Mr. Byron Waller could play the violin. Mr. Jake Slade was cutting his third set of teeth. So that's like fun, kind of yeah. like what a portrait of a town. Right, right. Of like the one guy whose politics are famous, the one guy whose teeth are famous, the one guy who could has a skill. Right, we're starting to see the community, and we're going to see the community at the courthouse. So they can, they're kind of, kind of introducing the idea of uh, Maycomb, the people of Maycomb. Here they are. Uh, <laughs> and there's a wagon load of unusually stern-faced citizens appeared. When they pointed to Miss Monty Atkinson's yard ablaze with summer flowers, Miss Monty herself came out on the porch. So they're mad at, at Miss Monty for having uh, uh, flowers, right? Yeah. He that cometh in vanity departeth in darkness, they call. Miss Maudie answered, a merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance. So she uses a different yeah. Bible verse. I guess that the foot washers thought that the devil was quoting scripture for his own purpose as the driver speeded his mules. <laughs> so they got scared. They're like, oh, we got to get out of here. <laughs> the devil has returned. We didn't think of that. The Bible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Hoisted by our own petard. I always thought that like the devil using, can even the devil can quote scripture for his own purposes. It's like, well, doesn't that mean that the Bible's too vague if even the devil could use it to do what he wants. Yeah, that's solid. Uh, yeah, let's see here. And then they go over to talk to Miss Maudie after her throwdown with the, yep. the foot washers. Uh, you going to court this morning? I am not. I have no business with the court this morning. Aren't you going down to watch? I am not. It's morbid. Watching the poor devil on trial for his life. Look at all those folks. It's like a Roman carnival. They have to try him. In public, Miss Monty. Wouldn't be right if they didn't. I'm quite aware of that. Just because it's public, I don't have to go, do I? <laughs> Miss Stephanie Crawford comes by and she's a gossip. She wore a hat and gloves. <laughs> um, 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 look at all these folks. You'd think William Jennings Bryan was speaking. Who is William Jennings Bryan? Is that, uh, I, that's a politician of some sort. I just don't know. I don't know either. I, I thought you, I thought you'd be there. I mean, maybe he's the president. I feel like, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. He's not the, not the, not a president, is he? Is he governor, maybe? Oh, uh, boy. He's something. Uh, we sh- we should have skipped over it. <laughs> we I know. We should have brought it up. Opened our mouth and removed all doubt. <laughs> and then Miss Monty calls her out and goes, "And where are you going, Stephanie? To the Jitney Jungle." Miss <laughs> Monty said she'd never seen Miss Stephanie go to the Jitney Jungle in a hat in her life. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought I might just look in the courthouse to see what Atticus is up to. Better be careful; he doesn't hand you a subpoena. <laughs> So this Miss Motty loves to dunk on Miss Stephanie. Yeah, yeah, she thinks it's better than Miss Stephanie. Miss Stephanie's a gossip. Yeah, she likes to do Miss Stephanie uh, likes to do good deeds, but also is in everybody's business yeah. all the time. 
And that's such a funny thing to lie about. Like, no, I'm not going down to the courthouse. I'm just going to go see what's going on over there. Yeah, <laughs> downtown. Um, yeah, so it's they. Uh, we held off until noon. We actually came home to dinner and said they spent the morning picking the jury. After dinner, we stopped by f- for dill and went to town. So they're going. All right, they kept their promise in the morning. They said, hey, Atticus, we're still here. Go on down to court. As you can see, we didn't go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then here it is. The big old courthouse being described. It was a gala occasion. There was no room at the public hitching rail for another animal. Mules and wagons were parked under every available tree. The courthouse square was covered with picnic parties, sitting in newspapers, washing down biscuit and syrup with warm milk from fruit jars. Some people were nine on cold chicken and cold fried pork chops. The more affluent chased their food with drugstore Coca-Cola and bulb-shaped soda glasses. Greasy-faced children popped in the whip through the crowd, and babies lunched at their mother's breasts. In a far corner of the square, the Negro sat quietly in the sun, dining on sardines, crackers, and the more vivid flavors of knee-high cola. Mr. Dolphus Raymond sat with them. So n- more about Mr. Dolphus Raymond. Yeah, so they see he's got he's drinking out of a sack. and uh, Mr. Dolphus Raymond seemed to be doing so. Seem to be so doing. Two yellow drugstore straws ran from his mouth to the depths of a brown paper bag. Right, Jim. Jim points Jim's out. Blown away. Yeah, <laughs> he's got a Coca-Cola bottle full of whiskey in there. That's so not to upset the ladies. You'll see him sip it all afternoon. He'll step out for a while and fill it up. Fill it back up. Why is he sitting with the colored folks? Always does. He likes them better, and he likes us. I reckon. Lives by himself way down near the county line. He's got a colored woman and all sorts of mixed chillin'. Show you some of them if you if we see him. Dill says, he doesn't look like trash. He's not. He owns all one side of the riverbank down there, and he's from a real old family to boot. Then why does he do like that? That's just his way. So Jem explains, uh, uh, he's supposed to marry one of the Spencer ladies. Uh, they're going to have a huge wedding. And then uh, his wife found out about the... about His affair, his with, affair with, the, with the, the, color, the black woman. <laughs> black woman. And uh, uh, she killed herself. This is wild. So... Then they start talking about mixed race. This is like they were getting into really like heavy into Jem explaining sort of racial stuff to Dill. Scout and Dill. Um, yeah, because she goes, Jim, what's a mixed child? And and then he replies, half white, half colored. You seen him, Scout? You know that red kinky headed one that delivers for the drugstore. He's half white. They're real sad. And then yeah, sad. How come? They don't belong anywhere. Colored folks won't have them because they're half white. White folks won't have them because they're colored. So they're just in betweens. Don't belong anywhere. But Mr. Dolphus now, they say he shipped two of his up north. They don't mind him up north. Yonder's one of them. And then they, they see uh, the one of the child. Uh, d- and then Dill, like, they, it's it's all like a, just an argument about a half-white, half-black child. Right. And it it's, it's so confusing to Dill and uh, Scout <laughs> why that... And Jem is so sure. Jem is kind of like being the older brother, kind of explaining the rules of racism to them. Um, the way they, the way the older brothers explain a lot of things, like matter of factly. And I wonder what this is serving. You know, like I wonder, like what, what are we setting up here? Because I, I have not read, <laughs> I have not read ahead. Um, I, I remain uh, unplowed virgin snow with this novel, as I we explained. And uh, so, so this is this is I, I I assumed like set up just like sort of the racial sort the racial makeup of Maycomb. Like, what's the established um, ideas of the social hierarchy with racism in Maycomb? And Jem is giving voice to that. And also, I think it's the show of that there is some people who are do not follow the strict rules of right of of the racism. Well, there's people like Atticus who are like 
stick with white people, but think everyone gets a fair shot in court. And there's people like Mr. Dolphus Raymond who likes to hang out with black people and has a, a black a wife or right. woman who serves as his wife. And he hasn't exploded or <laughs> any. He hasn't been run out of town. He's got he's got some money. You know, like so, he's just to show like in these Alabama towns, there wasn't like it wasn't like a uniform like every white guy th- saw race the same. Okay, right, yeah. So yeah, we're seeing it's like uh, Harper Lee is sort of com- complex, you know adding complexity to the the standard narrative of the southern town like these guys were still mysteries to the rest of the town but right. these guys were in town and right this guy's allowed to be alive they haven't killed him right they yeah they don't but yeah like his kids don't belong anywhere it's kind of like it may, jen makes it sound so sad for them yeah and um, there's that too where like and this was published i think in the mid 60s i forgot when um but like mixed mixed like interracial couples were still like that was a, a hot button subject. We're still like, illegal in places. Yeah. Yeah. And like that was a concern about like, and so I guess it's part of it showing that this problem has been going back a long time. Um, but also that like, it's, it sounds so weird coming from a 10 year old know it all. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, like oh, it facts. makes sense to this 10 year old know it all. And it's like, no, this doesn't really make sense. <laughs> You're right. not doing a good job explaining it. Cause they're even like, I can't tell that he's half white. Right. And it's like, well, you just kind of have to know. And Jeff explains like the one drop theory, which is like a prominent racist theory about like if you have once you have one drop of Negro blood that makes you all black. Hey, look. Um, and he he points out he's pointing out and they can't even tell they can't even tell some of these kids. Yeah. They just seem black to stick out. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's just like a quick look at like they're talking about one very specific. The, the, the epicenter of this book is one very specific type of racism uh, or it's white trash versus like uh just like the black, uh, the justice system as it deals with black people. Right. But I think it's a it's a tiny diversion to say like racism affected love lives. Racism affected children in ways that were not like too brutally unfair. Uh, and there's a lot of and then there were white men who were not racist. Like don't don't paint all of Maycomb as right. So yeah, this is kind of just setting up like this is where we're at in Maycomb right now with the complexities of racism and and there's stuff where it's like Mr. Underwood did not does not like the company of black people, but he had a gun with him to defend Tom Robinson. Right, there you go. Like, okay. that it's each complex. person has their own very strange politics about race. Right. Uh, on, yeah, uh, the anti-Alexandra is polite to black people, but doesn't like yeah. them and wants to keep them separate. Yeah, believes in the polite fiction of Southern womanhood. <coughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's just that the idea of, like, that we see in school of just, like, a, the, the mob of, of white people protesting civil rights... Um, and then it's like, no, like in each town, there's like a, there's an anarchist who believes the courts should be fair. It's not too worried about like making the social part of the, of it. Okay. And then there's aunt Alexandra who wants the rate that everything to be separate, but everything to be polite. Um, and then there's Dolphus Raymond who wants to live. He likes black people. And then there's scout who just thinks people are good when they're good and people are bad when they're bad. And she's got to hit some of them. She's got to hit, hit people. Yeah. She's got to hit them in the, in the nuts. <laughs> It's called the high shin, Kev. Not called the high shin. Yeah, it's called the upper shin area. <laughs> the upper upper shin please, area. Please, please be a gentleman. Uh, yeah. We get a description here of sort of the courthouse lawn, the the courthouse. You know, it's Victorian. Blah blah blah. I mean, the and columns. The vista, when seen from the north, from the other side. However, Greek revival columns clash with big nineteenth-century clock tower. Housing a rusty, unreliable instrument. Love an architectural description. Great. 
Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Uh, I love the to reach the courtroom on the second floor. One pass. Sundry, sunless county cubby holes. How amazing in terms yeah, of what alliteration. Phrase. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, she's a poet. Uh, so yeah, we. I mean, I'm very rarely am I picking out phrases like I was with Gatsby or even Catcher. There's like it's not that sort of like prose poetry writing as much as those other guys. Yeah, she's not guitar soloing all over the place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But she's setting something up. It's very important. Um, and it's and the character stuff is is really there as we saw. Yeah, there's a brief introduction of the Idlers Club. Yeah, these <laughs> old. Yeah, Just the suspenders. You could, I mean, you can, yeah, you can see the mustaches through the words here on the page. They're white-shirted, khaki-trousered, suspended old men who had spent their lives doing nothing and and passed their twilight days doing same on pine benches under the live oaks on the square. Um, Attica says they knew as much law as the chief justice from long years of observation. So. I think their role kind of, I didn't really understand what the idlers club was, but really they're just, it's just what, that's what scout calls yeah. this group of old men who are onlookers to the legal proceedings. Right. So they, I mean, they're the ones that are usually there and they just kind of hang out and like court stuff. And this it's is kind basically of like people who watch people's court in their retirement. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but they just live. went down to see it live. <laughs> yeah. So this is like, I, you see like this is adult scout kind of judging them for being kind of an idler club for not doing anything with their lives, naming them this kind of like, labels them in a bad way and they also like we get to hear uh i mean they set it up because they also they've been paying attention to the court gossip and so they could set up this conversation uh thinks he knows what he's doing oh no i wouldn't say that atticus finch is a deep reader a mighty deep reader he reads all right that's all he does the club snickered let me tell you something now billy you know the court appointed him to defend uh tom robinson yeah, but Atticus aims to defend them. That's what I don't like about it. And here's the big, that's the big revelation. Right, for right, right. It's been put into words. Subtext has been put into text. He aims to defend him. Uh, and Scout even has a big paragraph of, this was news, news that put a different light on things. Atticus has had to, whether he wanted to or not. I thought it odd that he hadn't said anything to us about it. We could have used it many times in defending him and ourselves. He had to. That's why he was doing it. Equaled fewer fights and less fussing. Right. So he had. I mean, like, so the why did Atticus not say that this is an assignment rather than a voluntary? He made it seem voluntary. Yeah, it seemed like oh, I gotta do. I want to do this. And I want to do this well. Where yeah. it's like he could have been like, ah, hands are tied. I'm appointed by the state. And that and that distinction that Atticus has made is what they take objection to in the Idlers Club. These these the townies, the the, the townspeople, the racist town people. That's what they care about. We're good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, that's like, that's all like, if he wasn't trying to defend him or even just like pretended he wasn't, it would have been so much easier, but that's not his thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He wants to have his cake and eat it too morally. I mean, which he does. I mean, so like it's, it's admirable that he acted like it was a voluntary thing cause he's treating it that way. Yeah. Um, but scout realizes here like, you know, how, how great her father is in terms of what he's doing. Yeah. Okay, so now the the black people are getting their seats. Um, yeah, and then the club began a stiff joint climb and ran into Dylan Jim on the way down looking for me. They squeezed past Jim, called Scout, come on, there ain't a seat left, we'll have to stand up. Uh so they're trying they're trying to find a seat anywhere. Yeah. And then they hear a voice say, Can't you all get in? Reverend Sykes was looking down at us, black hat in hand. So this is the Reverend that they met. For, uh, Remember from Black Cal Church? Per- yeah, yeah. Calpurnia's Church. 
And uh, I mean, that's what's like every every character comes back at some point. Yeah, that's true. Like it's very layered. It's kind of it's like it's uh, everything's used. She's the whole buffalo. So will Boo Radley come back? I don't know. I hope so. That would be a lot of Boo Radley's head up if it wasn't. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, Reverend. Nah, Scott here messed us up. Uh, well, let's see what we could do. And then Reverend Sykes says his way upstairs. In a few moments, he was back. There's not that's, there's not a seat downstairs. Do y'all reckon it'll be all right if y'all came up to the balcony balcony with me? Can we sit with the black people? They ask. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're so excited about this. Right. One, one, it's also the better view. Like they'll get. Yeah, to see it's it. funny, huh? Uh, let's see here. Minus is here. So then now they go upstairs. Front row of the balcony. The colored balcony ran along three walls of the courtroom, like a second-story veranda, and from it we could see everything. The jury sat to the left under long windows, sunburned, lanky. They seemed to be all farmers, but this was natural. Town folk rarely sat on juries. They were either struck or excused. One or two of the jury looked vaguely like dressed-up Cunninghams. At this stage, they sat straight and alert. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. So, but real quick, like, four Negroes rose and gave us their front row seats. Right. So it's like, as a sign of respect, one, to, like, white supremacy, but two, that this is Atticus's children. Like, they, they know that. Yeah, right. That's good. Yeah, I am hope you hope it's it's more Atticus's kids. That, but I guess they probably have to do that for... I mean, they already did the thing where they... they yeah, well, the, well, the black people were going in. Someone says, hey, wait. Like, the white guy, one of the idlers says, hey, wait, for the, all the white people to get in first. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone's like, of course. So there's all that, that racist manner stuff. Uh, but I also <coughs> think it's like, oh, these are Atticus's children. Yeah. We have to treat them well. Um... So now we get to meet Judge Taylor, uh, and he's explained as looking like a sleepy old shark. Yeah. His pilot fish riding rapidly below in front of him. I don't know. Pilot fish. That's weird. Uh, Judge Taylor looked like most judges had ever seen. Amiable, white-haired, slightly ruddy-faced. He was a man who ran his court with an alarming informality. He sometimes propped his feet up. He often cleaned his fingernails with his pocket knife. In long equity hearings, especially after dinner, he gave the impression of dozing. An impression dispelled forever when a lawyer once deliberately pushed a pile of books to the floor in a desperate effort to wake him up. Without opening his eyes, Judge Taylor murmured, Mr. Whitley, do that again, and I'll cost you $100. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so he only looked like he was asleep. That's what, yeah, I, I think maybe he was just, he was asleep, and he's just really vindictive. <laughs> he's just <laughs> like, <laughs> why are you waking me up? <laughs> yeah, but he kept his eyes closed. Yeah, good move, solid move. Like, But everyone says they were not sleeping when they totally were. Yeah. Uh he was a man learned in the law, although he seemed to take his job casually. In reality, he kept a firm grip on any proceedings that came before him. Uh, only once was Judge Taylor ever seen at a dead standstill in open court, and the Cunningham stopped him. And this is just a funny, like, southern law story. of Old Serum, their stomping grounds, was populated by two families separate and apart in the beginning, but unfortunately bearing the same name. The Cunninghams married the Cunninghams until the spelling of the names was academic. Academic until a Cunningham disputed a Cunningham over land titles and took to the law. During a controversy of this character, James Cunningham testified that his mother spelled a Cunningham in deeds and things, but she really was a Cunningham. She was an uncertain speller, a seldom reader, and was given to looking far away sometimes when she sat on the front gallery in the evening. <laughs> After nine hours of listening to the eccentricities of Old Serum's inhabitants, Judge Taylor threw the case out of court. When asked upon what grounds, Judge Taylor said, Champertress connivance. <laughs> And declared he hoped to God the little the, the litigants were satisfied by each having to have their public say. They were. I love that. One <laughs> to one sentence, uh, subject and verb, they were. Uh, that's all they wanted. That was all they had wanted in the first place. Uh, so classics, yes, yeah, small town, uh, Hatfields and McCoys. <laughs> like, all right, look, my mom's crazy. <laughs> that's the, the center of this. 
she likes to look at the window for a long time. You oh know, yeah, like a crazy person. Uh, more, more of this like southern polite uh, explaining how someone is actually a total nut or like just yeah. totally digging them. Um, he allows smoking in the courtroom. He's not indulged himself. Instead, he just eats a disgusting cigar. Yeah, long dry cigar into his mouth and munch it slowly up. Okay, oh. I once and then I once asked Atticus how Mrs. Taylor stood to kiss him, but Atticus said they don't kiss much. <laughs> <laughs> Again, Atticus is much more savage, much more much more cool in in like in le- while he's being quoted. He's more comfortable roasting his friends. But you don't really get I know. Yeah, it's very funny, but they, you don't really get that in the actual quotations that Atticus no. is saying. The present moment of Exactly. The Anyway, yeah, he, he just the, comes like as a boring dad. So the table is set. The witness stand was to the right of Judge Taylor, and when we got to our seats, Mr. Hectate was already on it. The sheriff, Mr. Hectate, Hectate. Is, is going to testify. So the yeah, the, the stage is set for the trial. I can't wait. Yeah, it's 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 here. Tune we, in. It's here, people. We made it. The trial, the trial from all the mo- like I thought it would like literally be like. The first Heather would be like, so we're on the way to the courthouse. Like I thought that would be like that. It would be that central to this book. No, I mean, she made it so that we know every single person in that courthouse. Exactly. We know the and we know the community is a character. Yeah. You know, in a lot of ways, Maycomb is the fifth character or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a Sex in the City thing. Yeah, I couldn't help but wonder. <laughs> yeah, but we are like a hundred. So yeah, we're we're in my book. We're one hundred sixty-eight pages in. Uh, to a 260-page book, so we are most of the way through it. We're two-thirds of the way through. Two-thirds of the way, sure. And we are now at. I mean, it works as far as how books like like standard plot structure that your big climax is, uh, like almost to the end of the book, right? But like, it didn't feel. It felt like it was all set up for the inciting incident. <laughs> yeah, right, 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 right. But it was. This is this is going to be the climax. We have all the information we need. Let's get. The business. It's a very big, like it's almost like a television move of like you make you follow the antics of your favorite characters, and then you have the the big three episode arc at the end of the season that makes them the characters you love put through dire situations. Right, right. After you know them so well that you'll be that that all your attention will be rewarded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I had fun reading through all the uh, the the little anecdotes and the and the rascals and all that. But now it's time to see what's in under that hatch. Yeah, let's lift it up and let's see. Smoke it. monster, polar bear, lost references. Yeah, I don't really know him. I don't know him. Okay, let's do this. Okay, uh, we'll see you next week, folks. Yeah, I'm Terrence Hartnett. I'm Kevin Lovkovich. Alongside me, as always, shoot the message to the okgatsby at gmail okgatsbypod at gmail dot com okgatsbypod at gmail dot com. Shout at my window in my apartment. Yeah, address forthcoming. Message me for the address. I'll give it to you. Yeah, come to a party. I'm hot, honestly sure. <laughs> I'm hot Hartnet on Instagram. I'm at Kevin Lopkovich on Twitter. We love you. Love you. See you next week. Bye. <laughs>